Welcome to the Wits and Weights Podcast for busy professionals who want to get strong and healthy with strength training and sustainable diet. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and in each episode, we'll examine strategies to help you achieve physical self-mastery through a healthy skepticism of the fitness industry and a commitment to consistent lifting and nutrition. Welcome to episode 12 of Wits and Weights. It seems that everyone wants to get quote-unquote lean these days. There's almost an obsession with six-pack abs, visual muscularity, and thinness if you're to believe the legions of fitness influencers who appear ready for an instant photo shoot on any given day. And now I've got nothing against maintaining a healthy weight, and in fact this podcast is all about finding a sustainable way to get stronger build muscle, and stay healthy. But if you were to ask yourself, what exactly is my goal when it comes to body composition, most of us would answer that we want to be lean, as in lower our body fat percentage. Now the reasons why are many, from improved performance and cardiovascular health to just feeling and looking good, often measured by whether we can fit into our favorite pair of pants again. But this often leads to a cycle of aggressive dieting and gaining back the weight, and then some, in an attempt to quote-unquote see our abs, rather than a steady, consistent approach that results in leanness without the extreme dieting, hunger, and disappointment at failing to reach this coveted goal. Today I want to talk about a refreshingly sustainable, enjoyable approach to getting lean by gaining weight. This episode is all about the benefits of using a nice long building phase to develop muscle, increase your metabolism, and set yourself up for a much easier dieting phase later on. You'll be able to perform better in the gym, eat more, and eventually reach your goal without suffering. So in today's episode, I cover two approaches to getting lean, one of which often fails, and one which is much more sustainable my recent successful 15-week muscle building phase as an example of one way you can do this. And finally, I have listener Q&A, a question I'll be answering about wearables, calories, and dieting. Let's get into the show. All right, the first thing I want to cover is this idea that the best way to get lean is to burn fat. And it sounds great. Uh, Oftentimes, it's a combination of dieting and excessive exercise, usually in the form of cardio, that is at least in the common zeitgeist of how to do this. But what happens is, if you've never gone through a muscle building phase, if you've never added muscle to your frame through lifting, and you're just trying to get thinner so that you can see your abs or your muscles, whatever, what you're going to end up doing is being a lighter, skinnier, but fatter version of yourself who has a lower metabolism, meaning you're not going to eat as much, and as you diet, you'll have to eat less and less to reduce weight, which is going to make you miserable, let's just admit it. It often leads to yo-yo dieting, where you rebound, you hit your weight, great, I've got my goal, I'm thin, uh, but I'm pretty disappointed at how I look, but I'm thin, and now I need to eat again. And then you start gaining the weight back, And because you've undergone this metabolic adaptation to a small extent or sometimes an extreme extent, 
your body is that much more primed to gain more weight and potentially more than you had before. Furthermore, if you're always cutting calories, always trying to get quote-unquote lean or thin, you will never have the performance you need in the gym, especially if you're cutting carbs, for example, to do it, which is a common approach these days. And this is just an overall inability to get stronger, keeps you weak, you won't have muscle, and you'll just be a miserable, skinnier, but fatter version of yourself. Now, I'm sorry to say many of us have gone through this in trying to get lean. You may be overweight today, but at some point in your life, I'm going to bet that you've tried a fat loss phase and you were somewhat successful in the short term, often through some sort of diet like keto, low carb, Atkins. You didn't add any form of progressive lifting or an idea of building muscle and you got kind of thin or skinny but you still didn't really see any muscle, didn't really see the abs, you just look skinny and weak. Let's contrast that with a different approach. The approach that I'm in favor of, the approach that many of us have discovered through a different strategy. One based on improving your body composition in the other direction. And that is getting bigger by adding muscle, adding lean tissue, and then dieting. And the idea with this approach is that you enter a long and slow muscle building phase. You supply sufficient calories to your body so that as you are lifting using progressive overload, using the tried and true principles that we've talked about before on this podcast, and we'll talk about again, of objective progress, training hard, doing it consistently, You will grow muscle over time, especially if you are a newer lifter. Newer lifters can gain anywhere from one to maybe even four pounds of muscle in a month, which is quite a bit of lean tissue. And the more muscle you have, we've talked about this before as well, the higher your total daily energy expenditure, metabolism, for a variety of reasons, some of which we still can't fully explain, some of which come down to the tissue itself, the fact that muscle tissue is more expensive, but there's a systemic effect that you see it inevitably. I've seen it myself. I see it with all the other folks in our community who go through phases of building, phases of dieting, and inevitably there's this shift up in your metabolism as you gain weight and muscle. Now, as you gain muscle while lifting and eating more, that is eating in a caloric surplus, you are going to gain a bit of fat. That's just inevitable. And I think this is the thing that scares most people. The thought that there's no magic way to just gain muscle you're going to gain all types of tissue. The thing is, again, if you're a newer lifter or even intermediate, you can still gain quite a bit of muscle as a percentage of that gain. And then it's a lot easier to lose fat fairly quickly versus the gaining of the muscle. And you're able to lose fat without losing much muscle. You retain that muscle and that will ultimately result in you being leaner than you were before at the same body weight. Now, if you've ever seen athletes or powerlifters or bodybuilders or anybody who's worked hard on their physique and you tried to guess their weight, chances are you're going to underestimate their weight by a pretty good margin because a leaner body will look thinner. It's filled out with a, a tighter kind of physique to it, but you can still be a heavier weight because muscle's denser it sort of skews our perception of what we talk about when we mean fat versus thin, 
what we mean by lean. And then we get into the rat race of just trying to lose weight to get lean. My argument today that, I, that I'm trying to get to here is that by eating and lifting, we get stronger, we build muscle, we take in more calories, we have better performance, we then enjoy ourselves in the gym as we see progress. The more progress we make and the bigger we get, the more progress we make still. And we get to a point where we say, you know, I'm putting on maybe a little too much fat, but I've, I know I've gained a lot of muscle as evidenced by the objective progress in the gym. And now I can go on a steady or maybe slightly aggressive if I want to fat cutting phase where I try to retain as much muscle as I can, cut off that little bit of extra fat or even more and result in a leaner version of myself. In fact, you may end up at a slightly higher weight than before you started the building and then cutting phases and yet still be leaner. And isn't that our goal? Best of all, not only that, you probably have shifted up your TDEE, your energy expenditure, to the point where now you can eat more at the same weight than you used to. And that, to me, is an extremely sustainable approach. Let's just walk through an example. right? I'm going to use my typical 180-pound male, and we're talking about a new-ish lifter. Let's say you've been lifting for six months. You've gotten past the, the newbie phase You've gotten past the awkwardness of learning the lifts, and now you're starting to make steady, consistent progress. And you're a 180-pound man with 22% body fat. Now, in subjective terms, if you were to look at someone with 22% body fat, you would say they actually look pretty healthy, but maybe with a little fluff, maybe a little gut or love handles, maybe a little bit on the backside, you know, wherever it tends to collect for an individual. We all have our spots. You know, I'm not going to talk about um, obese or extremely overweight folks on this example because that's a different scenario. I, I feel that if you're very overweight to an unhealthy level, and yes, having too high of a weight is a health concern. It's not about the physique. It's not about the body image. It's about health, cardiovascular health uh, and metabolic disease, etc. So if you're very overweight, my suggestion would be hit the gym hard lift heavy, and eat roughly at maintenance, and you're probably going to see some sort of body composition, you're going to lose fat anyway. That's a unique scenario. There are a lot of sort of use cases that are on the corner like that one. But I want to focus on the person who's not quite lean, has a little extra fat, and wants to become lean. And I think this applies to men and women. You would just shift the body fat percentage by about 5 to 10% higher for women. So the 180 pound man with 22% body fat. If you do the math, that's about 140 pounds of lean mass and 40 pounds of fat. Now we're going to go on a gaining phase. So this is the trick, right? We need to gain weight to gain muscle in this scenario. There are no, there's no way around it. There's no magic formula to some sort of massive body recomposition. Yes, body recomp, recomp is possible. But if we're talking about doing this in a fairly effective, efficient manner, rather than over a long period where we have to optimize everything, uh, this is the more typical approach. So we're going to target, for example, a pound a week of gain, which is pretty aggressive, but we're talking about a newer lifter, which makes sense. And we're going to assume that half of that gain is muscle, just for this example. It may be less, it may only be a quarter or a third, It actually may be slightly more depending on the individual responder. And the more advanced you get, the 
less of the percentage of what you gain is muscle. And so you tend to dial back how aggressive you are to increase that percentage back to a higher level, which simply means it's going to take longer to build muscle. But again, going back to this newish lifter, one pound a week, assume half of that is muscle, which is about four pounds a month of weight gain with two pounds a month of muscle. I think that's reasonable. So after 16 weeks, so here you go, about four months, getting to eat more food. If you're using an app like Macrofactor to track your food and track your weight, you can see how your metabolism fluctuates. You're probably going to see it climb over time. That's generally what happens, which is great because then each week you're going to check in and the app's going to say, hey, you get another 125 calories a day this week. Next week, hey, you get another 80 calories a day this week. And you keep pushing and pushing and you enjoy this process of getting to to taste new foods and try different combinations to hit your macros and all that great stuff that we like about gaining weight. So after 16 weeks, you've gained 16 pounds. And if half of that is muscle, you've gained eight pounds of muscle. Now you weigh 196 pounds. Now there are people walking around at 180, and I was one of them, who never could imagine pushing myself up close to 200 pounds on purpose just seemed crazy. I had gotten to 210 in college, totally not on purpose. uh, And I, I was not lean and I was not lifting. So that was a very different scenario, the kind that we don't want to follow. But you've been lifting hard three days, four days a week, following a linear progression, or maybe an intermediate program, if you're at that level, maybe a four day split. And now you weigh 196 pounds of which 148 is lean mass because you've gained eight pounds of muscle and 48 pounds of fat because you've gained eight pounds of fat. So now your body fat percentage has climbed up a little bit to 24%. So you might look in the mirror and say, huh, I'm looking a little fluffy. Uh, My pants are a little bit tight, but it's, it's an incremental change. And you've been training hard and eating a lot for about four months, which is a pretty good stretch. So now you're slightly quote unquote fatter but you have quite a bit more muscle. Eight pounds of muscle is nothing to sneeze at. That's a lot of extra lean tissue on your body. So now you decide, I'm going to go on a diet phase for eight weeks. And eight weeks is a perfectly reasonable, sanity-maintaining length of time. Uh, Some people might even call this a mini cut, where you're going to go pretty aggressive. You're going to go maybe two pounds a week, which again, for a newish lifter at 24% body fat is totally reasonable. In fact, I'm on a cut right now where I'm at 1.7 pounds a week, and the second phase of my cut will be less than that, but it's still pretty aggressive. So you're going to go on a diet phase for eight weeks at two pounds a week, because the goal here is we're going to take all that, all those pounds that we added, we're going to take them right back off, but you're going to find that at the end, you actually have more muscle than you did before. So after eight weeks, you've lost 16 pounds, you're back to 180 pounds, Now, we're going to assume that of those 16 pounds, you've lost two pounds of muscle. There's always going to be some level of muscle mass, and there's different evidence that supports different rates of fat loss. You know, you you can go very quick and make sure you have the intensity and volume to the level where you retain your muscle in your lifting program, but inevitably there's going to be some loss. So there's no easy way to predict how much it's going to be. The key is just to keep training hard throughout that period. So we're just going to assume you've lost two pounds of muscle 
And now you're back to 180 pounds with 146 pounds of lean mass. Now that's six more pounds of muscle than you used to have. And then 34, 34 pounds of fat. So that's six pounds less of fat. So your body fat percentage is 19% at 180 pounds. You just went from 22 to 19% body fat at the same weight, not by reducing fat, but by essentially replacing some fat with muscle. Obviously not directly, but you've built muscle and then lost fat and now you're leaner. Technically, if you wanted to be at the same fat level you were before, you'd actually have to carry a heavier weight than you are now. And as you build muscle, you may find that's what you want to do, that you actually have a nice, healthy, lean look at a heavier body weight than before. And you'll start to change your mindset of what scale weight even means, that it's not so much about the number as how you feel, how you're performing in the gym, how healthy you are, and your overall leanness in terms of body composition. Even better, and here's the bonus, this is the thing that I've actually really enjoyed the past few years going through this process, your metabolism has likely shifted higher due to the extra muscle in your frame. So your daily food needs are at a more comfortable level than before. Even when you're just going to go at maintenance now, you can switch to maintenance, you have this extra muscle, and spend a good two, three, four, six months, a year at this higher metabolism, enjoying more freedom to eat what you want. During that building phase, you would have pushed up your metabolism constantly as you're growing in size, as you're gaining muscle. And then as you were dieting, the metabolism probably came back down. But chances are it did not come down to what it was before and you had a higher level than you were before. A similar phenomenon occurs when someone's in a diet dieting phase and then goes into a maintenance phase or reverse diet, as it's called, kind of slowly coming out of it, where you can recover some of your metabolism before continuing your diet. So all of these are mechanisms to shift your metabolism up. But the idea of putting on muscle to do it is one that's sustainable and will last for months or years to come as you retain that muscle. The cool thing is you can repeat this process multiple times over and over again, perhaps with weeks or months of maintenance in between, meaning just not losing weight, not gaining weight, just sitting around, getting a feel for your body, letting things recover, training hard, seeing how you respond, and then deciding, okay, do I need to push it up to add muscle? Do I need to cut to get leaner? Sometimes we do have short-term goals. Maybe it's some big event where we just, you know, want to feel and look our best. Or if we've got a good six or eight months ahead of us of the deep cold winter of New England where I live, I might say, you know, screw it. I don't, I don't need to be lean during that period when I'm bundled up anyway. It's cold. I just want to eat. I just want to hunker down. Let me build muscle. Let me just eat at a steady pace, grow, 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 add that muscle, and then it won't be very hard to spend a couple months cutting the fat. On top of this, if you add in walking, Okay, I'm a huge advocate of walking. I've talked about it before. Step count, I think, is the most sustainable form of cardio to give you the most impact. So it's not the most effective. In other words, high-intensity interval training and other forms of cardio like that might burn the most calories, but they're not sustainable. They beat you up. They're hard on the joints. They make it harder to recover in some cases, or they might interfere with your lifting, all of these reasons. But walking doesn't do any of those. 
walking's enjoyable. Uh, we're getting to the warmer seasons here. So you get your vitamin D, you get your sunshine, get to enjoy nature. It's mentally relaxing. It's great on the joints. And the bonus from walking is it adds some cushion to your calories. So as you're lifting, for example, it's a way not to interfere with your lifting and not get too fatigued while still allowing you to keep bumping up your calories. And then conversely with dieting, it's perhaps even more pivotal in that it prevents you from having to cut your calories too much. So I don't know about you, but adding muscle by having some fun lifting in the gym while eating more food and increasing my metabolism and hitting these goals sounds like a pretty reasonable way to get leaner, feel good about yourself after all is said and done. And it's also quite sustainable, which is what we're all about on this podcast. And I want to talk now about the building phase that I just completed uh, as, as I'm recording this podcast, it was about six or seven weeks ago. I took 15 weeks to bulk after I had cut. I had cut to a fairly lean level, about 11% body fat. And if you're wondering how I measure that, every week, Sunday morning, I use a tape measure to measure my neck and my waist. I also take measurements of for muscle mass of my biceps and thighs and chest. And then I also use calipers and I take a few points on my chest, abs, and thigh and I plug those into a couple calculators online and I average them out to get my body fat. So there tends to be a big tolerance or I should say a big, I don't want to say error, but there's a big variance between these calculators. So for example, I might be 12% on one and 15 or 16% on another. So then I average them out to about 14%. And what I really care about is the trend. So over time, I can see both numbers shifting up or shifting down in tandem. It's pretty consistently. And so I just take the average. I don't really care about the absolute number. I care about the change, how I look and how I feel. So I dieted down to about 11, 12% body fat. And I was now ready to bulk. And my goal, because I've been seriously lifting for about two to three years, it's not five, 10, 15 years like some folks, you know, I got into my 40s, finally started to be healthy and started training seriously. And that's what this podcast is all about, is sharing these things I've learned with people maybe in similar or maybe completely different circumstances who just want to get healthier. And I decided at this point I wanted to bulk and gain a bunch of muscle so that I could do it in time to do another dieting phase leading into the summer, which is a common cycle for a lot of people follow when you know you're going to be swimming and be wearing shorts, showing more skin. You know, you want to feel better about yourself in those leaner months. So in late October, just before my birthday, my starting weight was 167.8. And then the ending weight in February of 2022 was 182.3. So it went from 167.8 to 182.3. The average change being 0.8 pounds per week. And right toward the end of the bulk, I actually had a week-long vacation where I didn't do any lifting. There was a little bit of a a burst in my weight there, which makes perfect sense, right? Because my activity level was lower during that week. And that gave me a, a loss of some of my calories for my diet, but I kept my diet the same. So I gained a little bit more weight during that week. It's, it's science, you know, it, it, it works like you expect it to work. So the, the true average was 1.0, but the, the trend average throughout the most of the phase was 0.8 pounds a week. 
By the way, I tracked all of this using MacroFactor. This is by far my favorite app for this. I've talked about it before. I do have a discount code. It's Wits and Weights if you go download the app. But as I am an avid daily user of the app and have gained tremendous benefit from it, I have no problem plugging it or being affiliated with them. Great developers over at Stronger by Science, so shout out to them. All right, back to the bulk. So I gained 14 and a half pounds in 15 weeks, and I would call that a moderately aggressive gaining phase. It's a perfect rate of change for somebody who is still new to intermediate. In fact, you could go faster than that if you wanted to, if you were newer. Um, And if you were more intermediate or you just didn't want to gain that much fat that quickly, you can go at about maybe a half pound a week if you're around my weight. So it resulted in about a half percent of my weight per week. My starting body fat percentage was about, or not about, but the average was 10.7% and I ended at 15%. So I gained about four, a little over 4% of body fat which you'll tend to gain more at a leaner level at the rate that I was going than in the earlier example I talked about where you went from 22 to 24. So I gained 9.7 pounds of fat and 4.9 pounds of lean mass. So about a third of the gain was lean mass. Lean mass is a combination of muscle, water, bone, etc. It's everything that's not fat, but most of it's going to be, you could just use it as a proxy for muscle. So about a third of what I gained was not fat. And I was very happy with that. Remember in the example earlier, I, t- I said, assume that half of what you gain is muscle. And for a newer lifter, that's, that could be true. For me, going at the rate I was going, a third was pretty good. And then I mentioned before that I measured my body measurements. And body measurements are a great proxy of your composition, your body fat, as well as your muscle mass. And that's why I encourage taking them. I know it's a pain. It's a little bit extra uh, obsession there if, if you have body image issues, but I'm a big fan of objective data, especially trends. So I collected body measurements. My waist went from 30.8 to 33.8. So I gained three inches, by, by no means you know fat, obviously still in the low 30s for male. Uh, most of my pants still fit fine. My chest went from 37 to 38. You know, I don't have the biggest chest, I admit it, but I gained an inch. Biceps, I gained a half inch thighs, I gained 1.6 inches. So I'm very happy with this bulk in terms of gaining, you know, a third of the weight as muscle. And I've had two plus years of what I'll call intelligent, serious training that I think has helped uh, get me to this point of being able to do this. Now let's talk about total daily energy expenditure. This is your metabolism. And why I think using an app like MacroFactor is important is because the premise is that you track what's coming in, that's your food, and you track what's going out based on how much you weigh, and that will help you determine your energy expenditure. You don't need any other variables in the way. You don't need to track your exercise calories, for example, your walk. You don't need to track steps. None of those have to be tracked to determine your expenditure because it's all so-called built in uh, if you use food and weight. Now, of course, you have to smooth the weight over time, and that's where it gets a little bit complicated, and that's why using an app or a spreadsheet uh, is helpful with this. Hey guys, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the podcast. If you find it valuable, you would be doing me a huge favor by sharing it on social media. Just take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram story or Facebook. 
please tag me so I can personally thank you and we can talk about what you found helpful and how I can improve. Again, an incredible thank you for supporting the podcast and enjoy the rest of the episode. So when I started the bulk, my metabolism was burning 2,965 calories. So almost 3,000 calories a day. So it was already a pretty robust metabolism from the previous muscle building cycles I had gone through. But through the bulk, I actually ended up at 3,500 calories. So I was really happy because every week, my targets just kept going up and up and up and up. And if you look at the graph, it sort of looks like kind of like a smooth stock market chart in good times. When it's going up, comes down a little, goes up, comes down a little, but generally the trend is upward. And then right at the end, it had a small dip. I think that was correlated with the week off that I took, the deload, the vacation that I took. Now, because I switched from a cut to a bulk, which some people, some coaches don't always recommend that. Sometimes it's recommended that you have an intermediate maintenance phase. You know, you switch to maintenance, see how your body responds, see where your maintenance really is, and then start to push it up. You know, that's sort of a reverse diet is the term sometimes used. But I've also heard, and for me, it seems to be perfectly fine that you can switch just like a light bulb, go from a cut right to a bulk, no big deal. Your body will handle it as long as you're tracking it. So that's what I did. And so if you looked at my nutrition every day, I went from eating a little bit over 2,000 calories because I was in a cut to eating well over 3,000 calories on a bulk, which I was pretty happy with. The first week, I actually had to kind of hunt around for more food to make sure I got enough calories. And I know people are groaning, listening to this podcast, like, oh, don't complain that you had to eat too much. And I'm not. I'm not complaining I had to eat too much. I was actually very happy about it. And this is why gaining weight and bulking can be can be a fun process if you don't overdo it. And you stick primarily to healthy foods, quote unquote, but you still have to throw in some other snacks, treats, desserts, things like that to to get it all in. And you might as well. You might as well enjoy life. That's that's my philosophy, at least. You know, the occasional Pop-Tart's not going to hurt you as long as you're also having sweet potato, rice, and broccoli uh, for most of your meals. So by the final week of the gaining phase, I was eating 200 grams of protein. My protein always tracked a little bit more than one gram per pound. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of hitting that target, especially on a cut, but on a bulk is important. And I was hitting 450 grams of carbs. And this is somebody, folks, let me tell you, I used to be a low-carb advocate. And to think that I would be intentionally eating more than 400 grams in a day would have seemed insane. But the carbs are your friend when it comes to training. You need them. You love them. The body thrives on them. Don't shy away from it. It's a different way of thinking, I know, for many of us. But if you're lifting hard in the gym... You need the calories, you need the carbs, it's all good. So to fit all this in, I'm, I'm, I'm going through this process, by the way, so that you can get a visual of what it's like to do this and maybe some of the positives so it doesn't you don't shy away from it. But you also know what's required to be successful. So for me, it was three big meals plus two snacks every day. I would shoot for an average of 40 grams of protein per feeding. So that's an average. I might have 60 on one and 20 on another. But generally, I shot for, shoot for 40. Um, I try to, you know, really get the protein synthesis triggered. Um, some evidence says it doesn't really matter the timing and, uh, how, how, and the frequency. Try to get at least three meals and get all your protein, and that'll get you most of the way there. So here are some things that I 
was consistent about to meet these targets. And I think consistency is so important. If you generally eat similar foods, it's going to be a lot easier. If you make your own food, it's going to be a lot easier. If you're going out to restaurants a lot and eating completely different things every day, it's going to be a little harder. Not impossible. If you're okay figuring it all out, weighing, tracking, and so and looking up nutrients on you know restaurant websites, etc., that's fine. And in fact, while I was bulking, it gave me the opportunity to eat out a little more. But the foundation is consistency. So in a typical day, I'd get up at around 5.30. Yep, it might be early for some of you. Sorry, that's just me. I like to work out in the morning. I get up at 5.30 and I have a pre-workout, a protein shake and a large banana. So that's 30 grams of protein, 25 carbs. About half an hour, 45 minutes later, I do my workout. Currently, I am doing a bodybuilding program. So I'm working out six days a week and it takes about an hour. When I was bulking, for most of that time, I was actually doing a either four or five day split conjugate style programming with maximum effort and dynamic effort days. And, and this is more advanced training. I'm not going to get into the details here, but it was a good, good high intensity training with a decent amount of volume and some uh, physique work as well. Um, then I would have a post workout at around 8.30, which is oatmeal with peanut butter and a protein shake. 40 grams of protein, 20 grams of fat, 40 grams of carbs. Then mid-morning, I'd have to get a snack. Usually it was bagel with cream cheese. A little bit of protein, a little bit of fat, a lot of carbs. For lunch, some sort of meat. Might be chicken thighs, might be pork chops left over from dinner, might be roast beef, and then a starch and a veggie. So the starch or other carb, it could be rice, but it could be potato, something like that, and, and then a veggie. So that would give me about 60 grams of protein, 20 to 30 of fat, and 80 to 100 of carbs. Mid-afternoon, snack, a protein-carb snack of some kind. It might be like a Quest bar if I'm feeling lazy, but it might be something like cottage cheese and some pretzels. And that would give me about 30 grams of protein, a tiny bit of fat, and about 40 to 60 of carbs. Then for dinner, similar to lunch, I'd have meat, starch, veggie. My wife cooks a lot. She makes great food. I sometimes cook. And oftentimes the dinner becomes the next day's lunch. And then I might even have a carby dessert if I'm low on my carbs for the day. And then before bed, I usually have a pre-bed snack of casein pudding, which is another 20 to 30 grams of protein. And the only reason I do that is it's just hard to get all that protein in through the other meals consistently. So I would just assume I was going to have this snack at the end of the night to, to punch it in right before I went to bed. But if I met the macros or calories during the day, I would just skip the pre-bed snack. All right, now I took notes as I was bulking the whole time to see how it affected me and some things I observed, some things I learned, and I want to share some of those today. Using a tracking app or a spreadsheet, so in my case, again, MacroFactor, made this a much easier process because it could calculate my rapidly changing metabolic rate, and so I could adjust my macro plan every week much more dynamically without getting too far off of my my rate of change. The second thing is that when you're bulking, when you're eating, you definitely see a performance improvement. Just it's inevitable. You're going to make progress in the gym. All your lifts are going to go up. It's going to feel great some days. I mean, when I would deadlift, if I had a nice big meal the night before and ate a lot, the deadlift just felt great, even at six in the morning. And I was never hungry. The third thing that walking every day. So in my case, I shoot for 12,000 steps a day 
which is reasonable, kind of maybe above average, especially since I work from home. I'm not in the city, so I kind of have to force myself to walk. But walking is great, a great form of cardio. Didn't interfere with lifting or recovery while I was bulking and allowed me to just eat a ton of food. And then speaking of eating a lot, eating 3,600 calories was probably the most I ever had to eat on purpose in my life. So it required consistency. I had to make sure to eat frequently enough. You can't just fast. You can't wait too long for your first meal. Or, or then you're trying to catch up in the rest of the day and, and stuff yourself. And you don't want to be there. Also, trying to get every, enough carbs into every meal does require sometimes adding processed foods. And by process, I mean bread. I did eat some Pop-Tarts or an occasional donut maybe, but that was rare. I'm just saying it opens up the options and allows you to throw some of these extra things in there. And then when I wasn't sure how many calories or macros were in a meal, like, you know, my wife cooks, so I, I can't just weigh everything as she's making it at the risk of insulting her. And then I had to slightly underestimate when I wasn't sure. So if it was my, my wife's cooking or going to a restaurant and I didn't have the exact calories and macros, I would want to slightly underestimate because when you're bulking, it's the opposite of dieting. You're actually trying to eat enough. And so you want to be conservative the other direction. Assume something has fewer calories than it might so that it forces you to make sure you eat enough to go at least to your target and, and slightly exceed your target. Now, having said all this stuff about eating a lot, I never went totally crazy just eating anything and everything like some people want to do. They call that the dreamer bulk. But I did get to enjoy some luxuries. Ice cream, for example. I love ice cream. And I could just enjoy that much more frequently than when I'm dieting. Also, alcohol. You know, if I just want to have a glass of wine or a beer or some liquor, I can do that. I still track it, but it fits in nicely. Although I always recommend keeping alcohol to a minimum at any given time, just period. If you're trying to live a healthy lifestyle and perform in the gym, when I'm bulking, I might have alcohol once or twice a week. And when I'm dieting, I usually don't have it at all. I know that sounds crazy, but it feels great. And then I did go on that week-long vacation at the end of January, and I didn't lift at all that week. I didn't get enough steps. I even ate a bit more than usual because I was enjoying myself. And as a result, because of science, my weight change rate almost doubled the last few weeks because my metabolism came down and my calories went up. But at the end, it didn't really matter. I still had the data. I knew what was happening. It was objective. And it was kind of my last hurrah before I turned around and went on a cut. So the bulk was successful. I hope I gave you a good idea of what's involved. And I'm currently now on a cut, which is something I'm going to talk about in the next podcast. We'll talk about the other side of this coin, dieting, you know, reasonable dieting. But I wanted to take the last few minutes of today's episode to answer a listener question. Judy in Connecticut, so the same state as me, right in the neighborhood, says, Hey, Philip, I recently started listening to your podcast. I really enjoy it. And I have a question about dieting without dieting. I understand all the info about macros and losing weight, but does my daily exercise fit into the calorie count in any way? I use my fitness pal and it adds your exercise, your calories burned to the daily calorie allotment. Should I not enter my workouts and should I ignore those extra calories that I'm allowed to consume? So thanks for reaching out, Judy. And, and this is a great question. I actually hear it a lot when it comes to 
how do we calculate metabolism? If I take the pie chart of metabolism, and part of that is my basal metabolic rate, and then you've got your NEAT, right, your, your um, like steps and fidgeting and things like that, and then you have your thermic effect of feeding, and then finally you have your exercise. Well, shouldn't I be tracking exercise as part of my calories? You know, I'm going to eat 2,000 calories, but now I'm going to burn 300 calories, so shouldn't I add or subtract? And my response to that is, first of all, the data from wearables or machines regarding calories are highly unreliable. The devices themselves tend to be very unreliable, as evidenced by any test where they compare these devices. Each individual also burns a different fraction of those estimated calories from the device. We're all different. And so if your Apple Watch says 350 active calories, you may have only burned 70% of that or 245 calories. So even if you were to rely on that, the data itself is not precise. But, But more importantly, the most accurate way to determine your maintenance calories is simply to compare how your weight responds to your food. Exercise, neat, all these other things are, are lots of variables in the middle of the process and trying to track them separately would be a nightmare and frankly futile. But if you know how much you weigh and you know how much you eat and you eat the exact same amount every day and you track your weight over say two weeks and you look at the change in the average weight, seven day moving average for example, you'll know if you're eating too much, too little or just the right amount of calories to maintain your weight. And that builds in all this other stuff that affects your metabolism, including exercise. Now, having said that, additional activity in the form of lifting, your steps, even cardio, as long as we don't overdo it, usually increases your TDEE because you are burning more calories, and this allows you to eat more. So if you're getting 12,000 steps a day like I try to do, my TDEE is probably a few hundred calories higher than if I weren't. But I will see that by my weight not increasing as much as it would have if I wasn't walking. And as a result, it does account for the exercise without me having to track it separately. So if you're fairly active, your maintenance calories are likely higher, all things equal. But TDEE fluctuates so much and it fluctuates while you're losing weight, tends to go down, while you're gaining weight, tends to go up. And even then, it's more like a roller coaster such that I would never recommend counting activity as part of calculating the calories you need to eat. Instead, base your calories and macros off of your calculated TDEE based on your weight change. Do it for the week, leave it alone, you have your plan in place, and then next week you adjust it again. Adjust it weekly and you'll be just fine. So thanks again, Judy, for that excellent question. I'm sure it's on a lot of people's minds. And thank you all for listening to this episode. I had a lot of fun talking about this journey of becoming lean by gaining weight. It's a fantastic, enjoyable process. If you remain consistent, you'll see great results. Hopefully the things that I shared about my own experience will give you a little view into what it's like. As always, I'm happy to answer any questions you have about this. Just reach out and be happy to reply by email and share your answer on a future episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Before you go, I do have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoy the podcast, just let me know by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. This will help others find the podcast in search results, which makes a huge difference. 
Thanks again for joining me, your host, Philip Pape, in this episode of Wits and Weights. I'll see you next time, and stay strong. Hey, before you go, I want to let you know about a free resource I have. They are free guides on everything from fat loss to eating out to building muscle to managing hunger to figuring out the best macros for you and more being added all the time. You want to get the most out of these podcasts and your time to look and feel your best, and these free guides will give you a quick and easy way to know what to do. If you want to get your hands on these completely free guides, you can head over to witsandweights.com slash free. That's witsandweights.com slash free to get your free guides and level up your results today.